IPFS is a peer-to-peer distributed file system. My guest, Juan Benet, is the founder of Protocol Labs. He wrote the white paper about IPFS, the interplanetary file system, and also created Filecoin, which is the app coin for distributed data storage. Uh, Today we're going to discuss each of these topics. Juan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much for having me. This is pretty great. What is IPFS? Uh, IPFS, uh, so like you said, interplanetary file system, is a uh, system kind of like the web. So the goal is to connect all devices with the same file system, basically, uh, where here it's loosely defined as just something that moves around files or bits. Um, but the, the fundamental difference with IPFS is that its core data structure is a Merkle, Merkle tree um, or something like a Merkle tree. So think of this kind of like Git. So imagine Git... Uh, layer it on top of BitTorrent, and now put the web on top of it. And so you get a web that's versioned, you get a web that is cryptographically secure, uh, you could apply encryption at the object level, so you could have entire websites that are encrypted or signed, um, and you're moving it around peer-to-peer, so it's basically serverless, right? So you have no origin server associated with the website. So it sort of decouples uh, what we know as... Uh, websites or whatever from a specific site, right? Like it's, a website right now means a specific set of computers uh, that you go and talk to. In the IPFS world, uh, they're decoupled from the place and the websites or web apps or uh, even just data sets or like just data that you put on the, on the network lives anywhere. A little bit kind of like Bitcoin, actually. Right. And we'll get into the technical details of that. But to put another cap on what you said at the high level... What problem does IPFS solve? Uh, it solves uh, moving around data as efficiently as possible and as securely as possible. Okay, and I watched a talk that you gave called Why We Must Distribute the Web. How would you summarize that talk? So um, I basically went through a set of problems that we've identified with the web. Uh, so uh, num- numerous things. So A, it's free and efficient. So when you move around data uh, from one uh, server to the clients, uh, things have to move through the last mile ISPs, which are really slow. So there's a huge problem in efficiency. Uh, many times people are moving the same bits, so bandwidth is wasted. Uh, security is pretty problematic because we're only encrypting the wire. We're not encrypting the actual content, or we're not signing the content. So uh, you know, malicious servers could be serving you anything, even though the certificates check out. Um, there are problems around. Uh, links breaking, right? So if you go and uh, move a specific URL or like a a file from a specific URL to another, uh, suddenly all the other websites that were linking to that URL are now broken and you have to go and search for stuff. Uh, Then, yeah, there's there's basically a set of problems that we've identified around how the web works and we are building a solution to patch it. Uh, So we are sinking down into the low-level protocols and designing something that makes more sense and then making the interface match with all the current web apps of today so that it's seamless to the user, right? So to the developers and the users, they will almost see no change, except that things will just work a lot better. You describe the web as a collection of protocols. In that constellation of protocols, what are the biggest problems and what are the biggest missing features? So I think uh, all of this has to do a little bit with the location addressing of the web this sort of thing that I'm mentioning where sites are specifically located at an IP address. Uh, but, you know, the, the security properties of the web are, are pretty weak, right? So even, even after we go through the 
uh, let's encrypt type of uh, goal of getting SSL everywhere, uh, you still have to trust the origin servers that you're talking to. You don't have the ability to, uh, well, today you, web developers uh, do not have the ability to create a website, uh, sign it with their own key, and then pu push it somewhere into the network, and know for a fact that uh, the end user is going to get that exact same thing, right? So anybody could break into the servers, change the code, the provider could change the code, the provider could just stop serving something, um, and so on. It's also really bad for uh, basically the, the developing uh, countries, right? So if you live anywhere where you don't have a really fast uh, pipe to the backbone, uh, the web is really slow and really painful to, to use. You have these huge uh, websites that have tons of images and tons of uh, programs that you download. People don't use caching aggressively enough. And they're moving the same bits over and over and over around uh, without being able to, to use sort of caching, right? So uh, an analogy, like a crude analogy, is that uh, we're trying to do to the web what Git did to version control, right? So version before Git... Uh, version control was centralized where everybody would have a repository uh, that you know lived on a specific server and you would check in your versions of that server and you had this huge uh, collaboration nightmare because everybody had to wait for everybody, everything else. Uh, you couldn't have local changes. You couldn't work offline. All that sort of stuff. And then Git came in and just broke that apart by saying, no, let's just make the model entirely distributed uh, from ground up take the right data structure, and then the world is a better place. And so we are doing the same thing for websites. I'm saying websites should be distributed by default. Uh, we're already shipping them to the client. So the client-server distinction doesn't... You can break it apart a little bit. And for many web apps, you don't actually need a server necessarily. You're usually consuming different APIs or different uh, systems. And the actual assets can be hosted anywhere, and they can live anywhere as long as they're signed and the user uh, can know that uh, they're executing them securely. So before we dive further into the technical details, this is Databases Week of Software Engineering Daily, and listeners may be wondering why we are talking about a distributed file system protocol. I'll ask you, why is this relevant to Databases Week? Yeah, so IPFS is more than just a file system, right? So it's really a database. Uh, you can think of the web as a database, and uh, you can think of Git as a database, too. It's not like the most uh, high-performance-tuned database in the world. Uh, but imagine that uh, you, like today in the, in, in the uh, distributed systems infrastructure world, we have a system where you have basically front-end servers that receive requests, and then they uh, talk to some database, some huge databases behind the scenes, uh, when in reality you could actually break apart the walls a little bit and put the actual database itself in the network. So like make the web, the data uh, be distributed itself. So I'll, I think the closest thing to this is probably the models that Couch has been exploring, like CouchDB. Uh, and I think uh, there's a couple other... So Firebase, I think, is also doing some of this sort of stuff where they think about offline use cases where clients have a, a sort of a, a database or like a micro database within their application um, and they just sync to remote servers over time. So you can think of IPFS as this sort of database of making the entire web run on this distributed database that everyone is running a little piece of. So this week has seen the decomposition of the classical dusty term of whatever we used to classify as a database. I had the RethinkDB CEO on and, you know, 
RethinkDB is this push database, uh, and then, you know, I've seen some other database technologies that just have all this additional functionality built in. How do you define the term database? Like, what is the difference between a database and a full-blown operating system or a version control system? It seems like the, you know, it's become so overloaded. So how do you define the term database? Yeah, so I think that a database is just whatever system of interfaces and, and processes you use to track and query your data, right? So you, a database is basically something that uh, you can call put on, and so you can store some data into it. You should. You better be able to retrieve your data quickly, uh, and you should be better. You would better be able to uh, run some queries against it, right? So you'd be able to ask certain questions and get an efficient answer without pulling out the entire thing, right? So this, I think that's like the broadest definition I can, I can sort of think of, and uh, that's really uh, what SQL was all about, and even the NoSQL movement was about changing the interfaces around which we achieve those those. Uh, uh, same guarantees, uh, but I think like we should just push all the way and say the instead of thinking of databases as these specific processes that you run in your own infrastructure, uh, think of the entire network as a database, uh, and think of the user's computer as part of the database. And so the, a lot of problems get easier, uh, especially when you think about distributed computing and caching and uh, versioning of like uh, you know whether you think about mobile apps where somebody may have fetched some content, gone offline for a while, and is sort of using the app. Uh, most applications don't have good offline use cases at all, uh, but some of them do, and then they have this huge nightmare being able to sync all the changes between uh, what a user has done offline and what other users may have done uh, in the same, at the same time. But if you embrace that model of, of realizing that the entire system is distributed, that you know when your application gets big enough, you actually have to shard it across multiple servers, and eventually across multiple data centers in the world if you want true reliability and tolerance to, to partitions in the network, uh, then you might as well just go fully all the way and say that every single system, every process that touches the, the data is part of the database itself. And if you come up with good models uh, on how you sync the changes between uh, the application, like uh, to figure out what the application can be cast forever, what are resources that are fundamentally immutable and can be distributed as, as they are anywhere, uh, what resources can be changed and by whom, who has access to these resources. You could do a lot of this uh, access control instead of uh, sort of blocking um, access with a you know off, like standard HTTP off techniques. Instead, use capabilities like cryptographic capabilities and give users a token that a lot gives them the, the ability to write to the data uh, and ship it to other people. Uh, and so you can, you can move the, the world into a very uh, distributed first uh, perspective where offline is easy to do or disconnected networks that are not connected to the backbone are easy to do uh, if you think about your data model correctly. Uh, there's a fantastic piece of work that I think people should be aware of uh, and I think it's, you know, it's not that recent. I mean, it's fairly recent, but it's not that recent. Uh, and this is the CRDT's uh, set of papers, uh, which came out of INRIA. And this was basically follow-on work, uh, or rather work maybe inspired by or concurrent uh, with the operational transforms that made Google Docs and Google Wave uh, really useful as a distributed systems technology. But CRDTs, which are uh, convergent replicated data types or conflict-free uh, replicated data types, uh, are these great uh, data structures. I think it's out of INRIA in France. Uh, these great data structures that basically say that if you 
design your data model correctly and your data structures correctly, then you can move the updates of the data structure to any part of the network, uh, including the, the user's computer, and you can sync the changes with each other and achieve the same results everywhere. Uh, so basically, you have a, a, a convergent system where everybody eventually converges to the same set of values. And you don't have to think about really hard uh, merging logic or, or uh, complexities around when you should sync or when you should not sync and so on. Uh, because the, the data model itself embraces the, the or, or bakes into, into the way in which you do the updates, the, the logic behind the values that you're storing in the first place, right? So uh, a concrete example of this uh, might be like if you're tracking uh, maybe like the, the tallest person that you've ever seen or something, or like the tallest person that a system has seen, uh, then you probably want to take the max at every single uh, sync point. And that's what you store. And you can bake in that sort of relationship uh, into the data model itself. And so when your applications sync, uh, you preserve these sort of values, right? And so that, that's a, the most basic example. But, but CRDTs are a way of doing this generically across any large data structure. So like large sets of things or, or complicated relationships. Yeah, and if listeners are interested in CRDTs, uh, there's an upcoming episode on Software Engineering Radio, which is another podcast I partake in um, about CRDTs. I'm not exactly sure when it's scheduled for, but it is an interesting topic. Um, so I'd like to get into more about uh, IPFS internals in our remaining time. Um, so IPFS, I think a good way to explain it is by analogy, and you've you've already started uh, doing that, but... So there are some different analogies we could talk about. We could talk about a CDN. We could talk about BitTorrent. We could talk about the web itself. We could talk about Git. Um, what do you think is the, is the best analogy to explore it from the standpoint of? Uh, so I think it's its own system, right? Like, I think it's closest to Git at heart. Um, it is fundamentally uh, heavily inspired by Git. Uh, I think it's probably the system with the biggest inspiration. Uh but it's more than a file system, more than a database. It's a new way of doing the web that's distributed, uh, and you can do the, uh, you can make you can put databases onto the web this way. You can do linked data and put it onto the web this way. Actually, by the way, linked data is another one of those like very charged uh, like words that uh, makes either half the room like uh, smile with glee or smile with like uh, sarcasm. Uh, and in any case, like, I think IPFS has to be considered in its own right uh, because it's different enough from all these other things, right? And so it has some features like Git. It is a Merkle tree or Merkle DAG, depending on how you want to uh, say it. Uh, it's, a, it's a transport for these Merkle data structures. Uh, it can do the web. It can do distributed uh, websites. It can do distributed file systems. Um, and it can move around content like BitTorrent, uh, but it isn't BitTorrent, right? It's it's like a, the data structure is lower level than either Git or, or BitTorrent or Bitcoin. Uh, so part of the idea here is, uh, and it's actually like I, the credit goes to a couple of friends of mine um, who had the, the great foresight of saying, hey, why don't you build a general transport for these these data structures and then you can layer anything on top. You can layer Bitcoin on top of IPFS, you can layer Git on top of IPFS, you can do layer BitTorrent, you can layer any of these other things and a whole bunch of other interesting things like Google Wave or, or you know, Google Docs, which is actually like in use today, um, and a whole bunch of other things can all write very easily on top of this uh, 
very fast, efficient and uh, transport with the semantics that you want uh, from any kind of like Merkle data structure transport service. How does IPFS, uh, or maybe this gets into Filecoin, compare to Ethereum uh, from a technical standpoint? Uh, I mean, I think they're solving fundamentally different problems, right? So uh, Ethereum is about computation and building a transactional layer, uh, a computational transaction layer. And uh, IPFS is about building a transport for uh, replicated data structures, right? So uh, making it easy for computers to link together and, and share data securely and efficiently, uh, whereas Ethereum is about uh, building this new computation model and and pushing it uh, into like the transaction space. Um, yeah, so I think when we think about designing IPFS or the users that we're designing for, we're not designing for the cryptocurrency community uh, necessarily. They are one of the of the sort of like constituent communities that we have. Uh, if you look at our uh, at Pound IPFS on Freenode, which is our IRC channel, you have people from all over the place. You have people that are coming from the containers DevOps world and they are using IPFS to move around containers uh, very efficiently and quickly and so on. We have people from the, we want to make the web distributed world which uh, really don't like centralization of websites and want to make it possible to build web apps that anybody can host and they can distribute. We have people from the cryptocurrency space that want a distributed system that can either they can layer their own cryptocurrencies on or they can use to address uh, data on a blockchain, right? So uh, we have people on both the Bitcoin and Ethereum sides uh, using IPFS to move around the data for their applications, right? So they, they put all their static data there or their web app, websites or web apps and so on and then use IPFS as, a, as just a transport layer for all of this. Um, and we have other groups like uh, there's people from the W3C who are working on web standards uh, they're hanging out with us because we are pushing some like really interesting changes for linked data. Uh, we're actually making linked data usable um, without having to require a bunch of servers to be online necessarily, right? So think of like the uh, IoT world, like the, the Internet of Things world, where you need to be able to ship a a web a uh, an application to a user and into a device that is going to be disconnected for a lot of the time, or possibly all of the time, and uh, you know, disconnected from the backbone, but maybe connected to other devices and need some um, way to understand the data model uh, of the data structures it's getting from these other devices or even internally. And link, the linked data world has a ton of like really great answers for all of this, but usually, typically it's been sort of locked into the, the world of uh, addressing things by URL. And when you address things by URL, the resource is kind of locked uh, at a specific location. And when you... Uh, at least, you know, in HTTP world, of course, there are URLs that, that don't do that, uh, or URIs that don't do that. Uh, but IPFS makes it trivial to just bundle up all of the assets and ship it all together. And so you have now the, the same kind of offline-first perspective that you get with Git, where uh, you can use Git as a, as a version control system in your local machine and sync with something like GitHub, where everybody's uh, there. Or you can use your own private server, or you can just share files with another person uh, in another computer right next to you uh, that you're connected over Bluetooth with, or you can even move things within the same machine uh, to different locations in the same file system or different processes in the same machine. Like There's, there's just a much better computer, uh, transport model around how Git works than around how um, HTTP works. And so the main thrust of IPFS is saying, it's basically going back and cleaning up, right? It's, it's saying, 
since HTTP has uh, you know basically changed the world, uh, we've had like two decades, two and a half decades of lots of change where we've come up with tons of distributed systems and made lots of discoveries and improvements, and we've learned a lot about how to move data on the network. Let's take a lot of those and bake them into the protocol itself and improve the whole thing, right? And so improve the web stack uh, with these new ideas. So you mentioned the problem of location addressing, and uh, I think that's a really core component of the motivation for IPFS, so I encourage listeners to... Uh, watch the talk that I'll include in the show notes, the Why We Must Distribute the Web talk, because it has a good discussion of location addressing. But um, the conversation I'd I'd like to have uh, now is um, to drive home exactly what IPFS is and how people are using it. You touched touched on a DevOps Mm -hmm. example, and um, actually the the next week of shows on Software Engineering Daily is going to be DevOps. um, And... uh, you mentioned the container usage for IPFS, and you also mentioned that IPFS forms a generalized Merkle DAG. Um, and so these are some concepts uh, you know, that some, some listeners may be confused by, some listeners may have some idea of what these things are, but if you could give an example of, from top to bottom, how a DevOps person would use IPFS with a container, uh, and if you could exemplify the generalized Merkle DAG data structure in this discussion, uh, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. so what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk about how people are using it now. I'll then tell you about a tool that we're writing right now specifically for DevOps people uh, that, I'll be, that we'll be releasing um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, actually at Container Camp, which is a, a conference that's happening in London uh, in September. And uh, I'll, then I'll kind of think low level and talk about the data structure. So uh, people are, right now are using IPFS to move around containers in the way that uh, they have an IPFS node along their, their host, their Docker host. And so they're developing locally, and they create a container, and then they export the container into IPFS. So they export the container from Docker, put it into IPFS, and then on the other side, on the other machine, they just pull it out of IPFS and add it into Docker. So right now that, that's, at present, duplicating some storage, but it is a better transport system in many cases because we deduplicate a ton, right? So we have, we chunk our files, uh, all the files that you add to IPFS get chunked with special uh, different kinds of algorithms depending on the file. Um, but one of them is extremely good at finding all these common sections of files and deduplicating them, right? So think of it, it's not delta compression, but it sort of works a little bit like uh, finding the diff between these two large images and then shipping only the parts that you need. Uh, and when you do that, uh, there, there are many cases where the, the Docker, the standard Docker image format doesn't uh, capture some of, this deduplica- the, some of this duplication, and we get it. And so we, we reduce the amount of bandwidth that you spend moving things around. Then there's also the notion of like uh, distributed deployments, right? So a long time ago, uh, Twitter basically had to, decided to use BitTorrent to um, deploy VMs to their machines in their data center, and they built this thing called Storm, or actually, no, sorry, Murder. Storm was their, I know, data pipeline thing. Uh, Murder was like Murder of Crows type of things. Um, It was a system that used BitTorrent to move around these huge VM images and sort of worked like a waterfall where a few hosts started sending it to, you know, the first wave, and then that wave sent it to the next and so on. And so you get this, like, 
really good bandwidth utilization of the of the data center network, uh, and even inter data center. Uh, Connections and so when you move around containers this way, if you're if you are developing locally, and you say make a container and you want to push it out to a whole bunch of machines out there, uh, you add it to IPFS and then you immediately like load it in all the other machines. And what's going to happen is that it's going to first start pulling it from your machine, but you're going to optimize how the the distribution works in that uh, in, in like the BitTorrent sense where uh, in the data center side the machines that are connected closely connected closely together are going to share all the data with each other, and you're going to not send the data many, many times over, right? Uh, this also allows you to do it entirely separate from any other public infrastructure. You can do this just on your own cluster of machines, and IPFS has all this peer-to-peer -peer networking uh, tech to make that really nice and easy, uh, where it's super simple to just add content in one machine and, and get it in another. Uh, and all of it is, is secure, right? It's... it's uh, uh, it's content address and, and so on, and, and we have object signing coming soon, so you'll be able to like just sign these things as coming from a specific uh, group. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's super good for moving around container images and even con like the exporting containers themselves. Uh, for mount, some people are using IPFS to mount it as a data volume, basically, like they, they add their data into IPFS and then they pull it, they mount IPFS within a container. Uh, this is a little bit tricky right now because the mounting has to work through Fuse, which is not the best thing in the planet. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, a little bit sometimes clunky and so on, but people report good success. Um, and then another way that people are, in DevOps are using it is to for packages, right? So instead of pulling packages from uh, the centralized uh, repositories, they just take the packages, add them to IPFS, and then on their other machines, just pull them out. And all of the stuff that's duplicated gets deduplicated automatically, and then shared between their hosts that are close together, right? So if you have several machines in a rack, uh, they're going to pull the content from each other uh, very quickly instead of pulling it from a centralized location, right? So you're saving a ton of money on bandwidth. Um, and people don't get to see many times the costs of these things because uh, the network in the back one is getting so uh, fast that you know downloading a gigabyte is pretty uh, fast. But when you are running this in automated systems, uh, you can bog that things down a lot. Or when you know some centralized resource, like say, um, you know, some repository of packages uh, is slow, or they're only sending at a certain rate, or they fall apart, or you get disconnected from them, suddenly you can't fetch the packages. So uh, package management as a whole uh, looks very different when you think about it from the context of content addressing and IPFS. And we have some really cool hacks where we have taken. Things like npm and, uh, and pypy, and even like a, uh, we're working on Nix right now uh, with somebody else. Um, you can pull the entire packages directly from IPFS, uh, so you don't have to ever touch the the regular uh, mirrors. Uh, cool. So that's some of the ways that people are using it in, in DevOps and so on. Um, another, the tool that we're going to be shipping, I, I won't say, I guess, like that much about it, but it's just a taking out some of these techniques that people have been developing for using IPFS to move around containers and bake them into a very nice UX for, for people uh, so that it's super simple for them to move around uh, these images and containers and so on. It's, it's a super simple tool, uh, but I think it, it makes people's lives a lot easier. Uh, and so it will be cool to, to get people's responses uh, when we ship it. So we've got about five minutes left, um, and I'm going to ask you a uh, complex question, but maybe the five-minute limit will be a forcing function on your uh, answer brevity. So 
Um, what is Filecoin and how does Filecoin leverage uh, IPFS? So Filecoin is a cryptocurrency operated file storage network. This one out when I was at the beginning thinking about how to incentivize the distribution of content within IPFS using Bitcoin. Uh, and then it's, it occurred to me that you could actually just change the, the proof function in maintaining a blockchain to include a proof of retrievability instead of just a proof of work. Uh, and in so doing, make the nodes uh, have to be storing certain pieces of this huge data set to be able to mine a block. So what, what you get out of it, so this, that's like a super packed uh, statement there, and the paper is available so people want to like check it out and read it. Um, what you get out of it is a blockchain that is backing up a huge off-chain massive data set where the nodes that are participating in the blockchain and mining blocks are forced to replicate uh, and back up this huge data set. Um, they have a basically a, a strong financial incentive to uh, replicate the data, uh, or as much of the data as they possibly can. Uh, that's a, a huge simplification, and uh, there's a lot of very tricky uh, edge cases that come into the design of these sort of protocols um, that went into the decision of like making it as a as a, its own sort of chain, um, and so on. But yeah, that's basically what it is, and the way it leverages IPFS is that. Uh, People can just add content into IPFS, and then they'll be able to just uh, ask the Filecoin network to replicate that content for them. Right. So, what we're driving towards is a development model for the web, uh, or for applications in general, where a developer crafts an application locally. Uh, they build the whole thing, and they sign it cryptographically. They take the root of the application, and they throw it into IPFS. And like now, it's you know sort of in the network, and people can can get it. Uh, and sometimes that can be encrypted, right? So maybe you, you can only pull out a, an application or like you can o only look at an application that you have the key for. Uh, but regardless, you have a set of, of blocks of data that represent the, the application. And then you go over to the Falco network and say, hey, please back this up for me uh, and serve it to people that, that request it. And you pay Filecoin to the net Falco network to get that distribution. And so... IPFS and Falcon are independent protocols and in you can use one without the other. Like you can use Falcon with arbitrary data that is not an IPFS, and you can use IPFS with uh, without it having to use Falcon at all. Uh, but they're they're really strong together because you add data to this distributed web and then you hire the service to back up your data for you, and you don't have to deal with the the, the costs of archiving it. Um, Falcon as is is not uh, the fastest thing for like local CDN distribution, uh, but that's where we're headed towards, and we have some interesting things in the pipeline that we already have. Uh, anyway, we have some interesting things around there to make this sort of thing really, really fast. Uh, what I want to get to is a CDN where the hosts serving the content may be in the same room as you, or very close in another building next to you. And if you get to that point, then you beat the biggest problem of all in serving things, which is the speed of light, right? The speed of light and the uh, really slow pipes that the ISP, ISPs give the regular user um, are the biggest problems in how we serve content today. Because uh, we're basically stuck with the fact that we can't go faster than the speed of light, uh, you know, as far as we know. Uh, and, we, uh, and we can't uh, deal with the fact that 
huge telcos have kept the speed of the last mile bandwidth abysmally low compared to the speed of local area networks or the speed of the backbone. Right? Like the backbone is incredibly fast. Uh, you, end users don't see that speed. Uh, and it's not, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with how costly it is to lay line, how costly it is to do fiber, and so on. Um, but you have this fundamental problem that you can solve in software by just thinking carefully about where you move things. And so the, the thing with Falcon is you can have storage nodes where people are making money uh, put on the other side of this hugely slow uh, medium that you have to cross, right? You have to cross this huge barrier that's, that's uh, the last mile ISPs. And if you get on the other side, then you can start serving things really quickly. Uh, and that's both to yourself and to other systems, right? So you can start thinking about like smart uh, applications that know where certain storage nodes are and push content to those nodes, predicting that people will be, re or you know, knowing that you have requested that content to be available at a future point, right? So your data, so, so applications like uh, Dropbox and so on could start moving your data to these storage nodes that are located close to you, uh, or potentially even in your own house that you help run. Um, but you do it in such a way that's like, uh, where the storage, where the people that are running storage nodes are getting compensated for it, right? So kind of the way that people running Bitcoin miners are getting compensated for running the service of mining for the, for the Bitcoin blockchain. I mean, your work is awesome. I'm really, really interested in it, and I'll be following you closely. If, if I could say something, uh, it'd be cool to get people's... I would love, we would love to get a bunch of users that have never used IPFS to try out some of the DevOps things that we're working on. So if people are interested or curious, just drop by either our GitHub repos or our IRC channel and uh, ping us. Uh, we have like some pretty interesting stuff that we're working on, and people can, can try it. Uh, I can try it out. And I think like most people get pretty wowed by some of the things that we've we've achieved. So it'll be it'll be fun. I promise.